Hi, I'm Lauren and welcome to this very special series, Hopecast Extra Time. Extra Time is an exclusive series focusing on the issues that connect sports with suicide. This is the third and final episode in the series. Today we are looking at racism. Racism is unfortunately across every sport. England cricketer Azim Rafiq said that he considered taking his own life because of it. And former footballer Anton Ferdinand has spoken out about the suicide risk of footballers on the constant receiving end of racist abuse. Racist abuse is not only on the streets or in crowds at sporting events. It's now taken online with trolling, making it harder for athletes and fans to feel as though they can't escape from racism and the impact it can have on you. With a lack of representation of not only celebrated ethnic minority athletes, but also coaching and management roles within sport, it can make people watching from an ethnic minority background feel as though they don't belong. For this episode, we're delighted to be joined with Neelesh Chuan, the founder of Aston Villa FC's Villains Together, the equality group which encourages ethnic communities to take an interest in football. Anita Beden, who is the racism educator at Show Racism the Red Card, the UK's leading anti-racism charity. And former Team GB athlete Annika Onuora, who recently shared her experiences of racism in the world of sport, which contributed to her attempting to take her own life. So Anita, Nilesh and Annika, welcome to this very special episode. Do you want to start by telling me a little bit about your story and your background and why we're here talking about racism, sport and the link to suicide? So I'm Anita and I'm here representing Show Racism, the Red Card, which is an educational charity that runs within the context of football. Um, I'm I'm really keen to participate in this podcast because um, racism and related issues in terms of mental health um, have um, really kind of impacted me and my family, not on just... um, um a childhood level but through my life and and I I suppose I I just want to be able to share and articulate um some of my thoughts and views and my passions um for the fact that racism still exists and is live and kicking and that education can actually make a massive um impact on 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 improving the state of play as it currently is. Yeah, hi, my name's Nilesh. I'm from Villains Together. Um, I run a fans group and basically we try and get people from all backgrounds um, to Villa Park. Um, we try and change people's perception about the game um, and show them the fun and the passionate element of football, um, especially at Villa Park. So um, that's what we try and do. And we, we work with organisations such as Kick It Out, uh, Fans for Diversity, the Football Association, um, in order to kick out racism in the game as well. Um, and 
also advise people and uh, encourage people to come towards us if they've experienced any sort of racism or and how to deal with it and through the club and through us. Hi everyone, so I am Annika Onora. I am, I am a former Team GB Olympic athlete. Uh, I competed in the sprints for Great Britain uh, in the 100, 200 and then mainly the 400 and the 4x4 and the 4x1. Um, I won a collection of medals, global medals for Great Britain, European, uh, Commonwealth, World and Olympic medals in the sprint relay. And I recently released a book about my journey and life through sports called My Hidden Race. And I talk about my personal experiences that I encountered um, through the years of growing up uh, as a young black girl, but also then later on as a senior athlete for the British team. Topics such as uh, suicide, sexual assault, uh, body image, um, a lot of things that I went through. So hopefully I can add my input to today's conversation. And I've read the book and it's fantastic. And it's a real, a real eye-opener to, to what you just mentioned. They're not only just focus on racism, but also the impact it can have, you know, that stems in you and that's that's impacted throughout your life, Annika. Oh, thank you. Thank you for also reading the book as well. Well, un unfortunately, you know, especially in this country, football is is massive. It's, it's our national sport, if you will. And across sports, and it is, it is an in institution, but racism is unfortunately still at the heart of that, and it's 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 ingrained, and it's but it impacts us so much. Why do you think that is? Um, I think social media has still got a massive part to play in this. You know, at the moment when we look at racism, and we, we I always find it that there's no solution for it just yet, and and it's a massive wall. And commonly, we, when we get so far, there's something that there's another brick, brick layer of brick that goes on top. So we've got to climb a bit more still. And then there's another layer of brick because something something else happens. Um, for example, at the Euros, when the three lads took the penalties, and you know, and I always I always say this now that if we were to, if the if the three lads took the penalty yesterday, we would still have this, the conversation now and. and they would still get racist, racial abuse because of the 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 the, the, um, the penalties they miss for their country, um, which is which is ridiculous. But it's the fact that would happen, and that's the that's the mad thing about it. And the, the thing is that we know that it's going to happen now. Um, but the, the my my thing is that at the moment is the way we should combat it is to work with organisations like Show Racism, the Red Card, who are putting education into place at, at a younger level. To, to teach people about what is right and what is wrong in terms of how you portray yourself, how you act on social media and what what the effects of racism can do to a person. That's a really, that's a really good point, Nilesh. And I think as well, when you look at the lack of representation as well in, you know, not only along the front line, you know, when it comes to players or athletes, but also coaching staff. So I know you mentioned that, Annika, in your book about the lack of representation in coaching as well. That can be really impactful for fans. What are you thinking? I'm not represented here, so is this sport for me? Yeah, definitely. Um, and also, as an athlete who'd been on the team and competing internationally for almost 20 years, to not see, you know, a, a senior senior leader of someone who looked like you, the same colour as you, or close to the same colour as you, was highly disappointing, especially considering, you know, consistently, a lot of the medals always came from the black athletes whether it was a sprint, whether it was a distance, whether it was the combined events, the jumps, it doesn't matter what it is. So it's like, well, 
where where does the where does it stop like what's the what where does what like where do the opportunities come through like what does the pathway look like and then speaking to the various black coaches over the years just seeing how you'd hear the same consistent story they get to a certain point right before senior management and then when a position potentially came came became free um such as you know head coach or performance director a lot of the black coaches wouldn't even be asked for an interview but a lot of them would apply and unfortunately for us I think it looked really bad on my sport because you know it wasn't until the you know horrendous murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor that the sport were able to take a step back and go oh hang on a sec you know we're doing something wrong and we need to actually hire a black coach so it's 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 an unfortunate situation where your hand is forced where that shouldn't be the case it, should, it should, literally shouldn't be the case where your hand is forced I say all of that and the, <laughs> they've actually gone back on it so the same person who they just hired the ball to get rid of to then give the job to a white person um so it's like they've done all this work where they're trying to build and they're trying to move forward and they're trying to change especially the culture within sports but it's like they've taken 10 steps back um so there's a lot of work to be done not just within my sport as a British athlete, but amongst various sports in, in Britain. I agree with that, to be honest, because, and the representation is what exactly what I feel. So from the age of 16, 17, I started my football coaching career um, and I went out and I started coaching and I went to coach near my area, which was, you know, predominantly uh, white, white area. So never had many South Asians there or anything like that. So I was coaching there, my first coaching session, and I had about 10 kids there. There was no Asian kids. There was, there was, there was no there was no mixed race kids. Nothing like that, right? And as I was coaching, I'm always looking at the door to see if anybody's turning up late or anything else. Um, and as I looked over, um, there was a couple, and they brought two kids. So I, I was obviously had my, one eye on the kids I already had. So I was like, okay, kids, carry on moving the ball, keep 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 the ball close to your feet. And they were doing that. So I went back, and then they'd gone that couple. So I was like, oh, okay, um, have they gone? And um, the one guy who was sitting there, one of the other parents says, yeah, they've gone. And I went, oh, okay, fine. Never thought anything of it. So finished the session and everything else. Um, and then I went back to that parent that I asked. I said, oh, do you know why they went? Did they think they'd turn up too late? And he was really embarrassed to say to me. And he went, to be honest, uh, Nilesh, it's because they asked me who the coach was. And I said, it was you. And they said, what, the Asian guy? And I said, yeah. And they went, Agents can't coach football. Let's go, and they left because of because because of the colour of my skin. So that was when I was about seventeen. Oh, and so young! I'm so sorry you had to experience that, especially yeah, such, I mean, such a young age. It, it's you know it's it's it, it's wrong, and you know it, it just shows even that you know the younger kids who are coaching. It starts yeah. at such a young age, doesn't it? That representation, people's attitudes, what you know, kids pick up on things, don't they? We we go back to the 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 education part of it now. The kids that were coaching, they didn't have a problem with me. They didn't have a problem with my skin. But but the parents did that came in. So I'm, I'm, I can guarantee you now the two kids that came that day, they would have happily played or got involved. But the parents didn't allow that to happen that day. You know, and, and that was the, that was the shocking part. And we go into the professional game now, and as we speak about representation, you know, we look at Tottenham Football Club. They had a time where they they got rid of their manager and they 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 appointed a manager called Ryan Mason, who's never managed before, 
he's played for the club. But what happened was um, he got appointed as a caretaker manager. Now, he wasn't even part of the coaching staff or anything else, but he got the role without any experience. But in the backroom staff was Lindley King and Chris Powell, right, who have managed, who have coached. Chris Powell have managed loads of clubs and didn't get the role, didn't get asked. So my question is, why didn't they get asked? Uh, and 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 you can see why and, and you can see why that there's a need for for things to take action on and for things to 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 show our representation. There's a need for that of people of all, all race and colour. There's a massive need for it. Lynette, do you think that because the or because the organisations like the clubs and the FA and and so forth because they're so white led, do you think that they are consciously not making the decision to hire um, coaches of ethnic minorities because I always think, I always look at it like this, but maybe because I am a black woman, when I always see like a sea of white faces, um, whether, I don't know, I don't know, for example, in a political party um, and you're trying to modernize Britain. So all your policies relate to modernization of Britain and making sure we, we cover all areas. I always think optics alone, the picture itself doesn't look good. So yeah. why have you got yeah. two two black coaches um, who who have gone through the whole the whole system? They've been waiting. They they're basically breaking their backs because my brother Ethan, who's now um, who was head of PFA, but now is the head of DEI at the Premier League. He we also have a lot of conversations about this because he went through the same process of only given um, jobs and roles within managerial positions, and it was always short term, like. The white, uh, what I I observe within football, and obviously you guys feel free to say anything different, but I feel like whenever a black coach or a or a coach of colour is given an opportunity to to manage a team, it's like their way of like waiting for them to fail is heightened far greater than a white coach because you have the same coaches um within football, so you have the the Roy Hodgson's the. Steve McLaren's but yeah you have these same coaches and they can just rotate from club to club to club and it's fine and it's just normalized whereas uh, the black coaches are never given the same opportunity it's like they're always waiting for them to fail so it's like the, what are the clubs doing like optics wise like are they not consciously choosing to hire a black coach is it because of the fans they might give them abuse or is it just because they just are lazy basically so yeah just some observation it's a really difficult question to answer unless you're at a club itself and work it and quite understand their philosophy and everything else. For me, there's there's no reason why they shouldn't give people the opportunity. Everybody should have the equal rights to and the equal opportunity, to be honest. Um, there's no reason for it, which which is baffles me massively, but but it's there and it's happening. Now, you know, we go on a flip side of this now, and um, you know, there's a lot of black footballers. And some talented ones, brilliant footballers, right? Now, I've come across the South Asians in football at grassroots level and um, the parents and everything else. Now, when they see racial abuse towards black people in the game currently, that would put some of the South Asians off the game because they're saying to me, they're saying to me is, well, Nilesh, how can my son even attempt to get in the game, right, when you've got people of who are black or currently playing the game are getting racial abuse and they're already in the game. So if I took my son or my daughter to, to say, go through this pathway, 
I mean, and what is their chances? That's the sad part of this reality at the moment. You know what I mean? So, and especially after the Euros, um, what happened and the way as well, some people got put off by the way some of, that, some of, that, some of our fans acted as well. Um, they were thinking, well, they're really excited to support England, but then thinking, well, do I take my daughter and son to an England match Wembley to see what was going on there amongst the fans? So it's a massive influence on the grassroots level of football. Because, you know, you can't be what you can't see. It's like going back no. to what you said at the start of the podcast. It starts at such a young age, you know, children's yeah. awareness of what's going on. You pick it up so easily. I think yeah. one thing what we touched on with the Euros and the Olympics and any major sporting event, we're all united when we went out. We were all, like, cheering our players on your Rashfords, your Sterlings. We're all, like, oh, fantastic, they're winning. But then when we lose, we're against it, aren't we? You know, you should yeah. support the team through thick and thin and then go back to the Euros you know, the racial abuse comes through and it just shows we're clearly not united because, you know, whatever the outcome you should be, it shouldn't come down to racial abuse in someone. And I think social media goes hand in hand with, with racial abuse at the moment, especially with the younger generation and how they use social media. So that's another thing that needs to be taught into our younger generations to say, well, if you put something out onto social media towards somebody and the effects of what that could do to that person yeah. it needs to be taught to a, a really young young generation because at the moment you, there's a bit of a trend that you see racial abuse from a young person who's doesn't know what you're saying who doesn't have a care about it who doesn't think about the consequences and doesn't really understand the situation as well so post something out target somebody sometimes i'll de deactivate their account and then sometimes it'll be like oh yeah, but they've been caught, then they, then they get educated after that. So it's 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 it goes hand in hand, I think, with 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 racism is social media in this day and age. Yeah, well, because abuse now it's not to say on the but you know, look at the days of John Barnes, it's like it would be yeah. all on the pitch, wouldn't it? But now when yeah. you look at it, it, it's taken off the pitch now, and that's yeah. I mean, Hope United is a prime example of that when you watch their campaign, it's it's constant, isn't it? Social media is 24 something you receive in that constantly coming through and it's the impact that can be on your mental health and you know Ferdinand said recently that could lead a young, a young ethnic minority player to take their own life because it's they're on the receiving end of it yeah I mean I remember when I was um I'm sorry to tell you all my stories here but um I was playing uh 11 aside football and when we talk about uh, mental health and and stuff at the moment when I look back because mental health is only just like you know it's starting to be a big thing now. It's massive awareness, which is amazing. But when I was younger and I was playing football, you know, I started playing, I played my first game for my 11-a-side Sunday league team. And uh, I went past a few players um, with the ball and I was I was young, so I was excited. And, you know, um, and one player literally just just took me completely out. And um, he, uh, he he took me out and I went, I went ref, he, he just took me out. He just completely took me out. And... He picked me up and I was small and he picked me up like this and my legs were off the floor and he went, what did you say, you black? I threw me on the floor. After that, we Sunday League football, their fans came onto the pitch, our fans came onto the pitch and there was a massive rap. And I was just there, sitting there, thinking, what is this? This is Sunday League football. I mean, oh my God, I'm only like 17 here. Um, eight, I must have been 17, 18. I went back home and I was, I did, I was like... I don't play football. This is like put me off the game. I mean, getting up on a Sunday morning in the cold for stuff like that to be abused and stuff. I was like, forget that. 
then I was lying down in my bed and my TV was on and, you know, Football Italia came up, which I used to watch all the time. And because that came on, it just literally um, went me back up. And it's as if I went watching it. And that, for that second there, I forgot about what happened. So my love for the game was still there. So that carried on. And it, it, but that's that's it, though. You know, that that is an absolute horrendous and traumatic experience. But that could quite, like you say, it can put someone off taking part in part of this. And you must have experienced that yourself, Annika, you know, throughout your sporting journey that feeling like I don't belong in that you know having that abuse to your face yeah definitely um the problem in my sport is that it was all very subtle so people will gloss over the fact that oh well you know the sport's got a, a good number of black athletes and white athletes it's a mixture but there was a lot of microaggressions that I would also face there was a lot of hindrance of just being black because people would assume that, oh, when you're selected for the relay team, you know, the the management would be like, well, the team can't be too black because it's not a full representation of Britain. Whereas if all the black athletes are the fastest, like you only work with what you've got, but you imagine being that queer and being some of the fastest athletes in the world, but because managements are white and they get the final say, they're like, well, we need to, it's, again, it's about optics. So if we're on the back papers the next day and um, because we've won a medal we want to be seen as Great Britain and to them it was like being black and having a full black team wasn't good enough so they throw a white athlete in there who what not, that's not to say that the white athlete wasn't doing running as quick but it was like imagine just being in this position where you could protect where you, you're winning a medal but the team management are like no actually we don't want the team to look full black so Instead of having a full black team, we're gonna we're gonna go a different way. So yeah, it was it was you know a lot of there was a lot of stuff that was hidden within my sport, hence why a lot of the stuff I've encountered is called, the book is called My Hidden Race. But, but it's more to do with um, just a lot of the things that people don't know about in the sport. You know, people just assume that when you're winning medals and when you're standing on the podium, you um, are just happy and you know you're so grateful that you've won medals and all of that stuff but there's there's a lot of stuff that goes on you know be it political be it racial be it abuse um you know so yeah I just wanted to again share and highlight all the different things and different experiences it's unacceptable you know no one should be made to feel like that especially when you've sacrificed your life you've given up near enough everything to compete for your country and to feel like you don't belong there, it's completely wrong. And I know, Anita, we said beforehand, you know, it's not when you look at racism, it's it since it shouldn't take an incident like George Floyd to happen to think we need to rethink these things. But it's our idea of racism, isn't it? When we think of racism, we think of somebody saying, you know, something really horrendous to someone's face. But actually, it's like Annika said there, it's, it's, it's can be passed down, can't it? It can be, you know, not to your face and making decisions that sort of thing yeah I, I think it's really important to understand that racism is is something that is institutional as well because you know it's not just the racial slur that in itself is awful but it's then beyond that because when I first came to this country you know people would there would be racial slurs cast at you know my, my parents and me you know in your face you know the p word um go back home and you know graffiti um in in the streets that we lived in but but actually when you get, enter into a place of work as well 
I think what you realise is that those kind of institutional parts of racism are, are a lot harder to pinpoint and also really hard to challenge you know and have been in the past and so there are so many levels on which this you know racism works um and it's you know when you look at Colin Kaepernick you know it's like taking the knee it's it's fantastic when you see national teams are doing it across sport people participate on it but do you think that's enough now it's making that statement politically but actually going forward is is that enough to stop racism across sport I personally don't think I think what Colin's Colin's done is great I think it's amazing I think he's it's definitely continued the movement of this era but the problem is is that as a person of colour you also know the backlash that you're facing so he's you know he's been blackballed from the NFL since 2016 or because, or because he chose to stand up for something that he believed in. And when you see, you know, something like 70% of the NFL league is um, the players, 70% of the players are black, and how many of them are able to stand aside with Colin Kaepernick? Now, everyone chooses to make the decision, that's entirely up to them, but they because they've also seen the repercussions of what Colin's faced, knowing that, as a professional sports person, you literally only have a short-lived career to maximize everything, especially in a sport like NFL, where it's just like a revolving door because everyone wants to be on the best team, sign the best contract and get the best deal. So if you're um, someone who who is looking towards, you know, a team winning the Super Bowl or whatever, and you're signing a five-year contract, that's worth, I don't know, 100 million you have to think, okay, how far is this going to stretch me? I mean, for most of us, 100 mil would stretch quite far. But, I mean, in their their industry, it's a lot different because you can be golden boy the next and then just blackboard um, the following day. So, yeah, I think think a lot of the players have probably looked at Colin Kaepernick and just said, okay, we're going to support you privately. um, But, you know, this is our decision to make. And I guess that's, that's the route they've chosen to take. And that is suppressing yourself, though, because kind of it's somebody could be indirectly, directly, racially abusing you. But because you're putting that, you think I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my sporting career. I could lose everything. I've worked so hard for in my career. So people just put up with it. But it's the impact on that and your mental health. And like I say, and I agree with your story. It, it led you to have thoughts of suicide, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. Um, I think you know every. I think I worked out every Olympic year. I was always going through something. I always had a mental health issue or mental health breakdown prior to actually competing at the Olympics. It happened in 2012. Prior to that, you know, my father passed away and, you know, no one really asked me, am I okay? Is there anything you need? Can we offer you any support? And because I never got that, um, I, I wasn't given the opportunity to grieve my father's loss um, so he, he passed away in February 2012 and instead of people just saying you know just take time away or just you know just take time to heal it was always like no because you know you've got to make sure you're in tip-top condition to make the Olympic team especially because it was a home Olympics as well so there was added pressure for everyone who wanted to make that Olympic team but I look back and I don't I definitely don't regret the choice I made in competing at the games because I gave it everything but I just wish I would have had the support, 
beyond sports, you know, just asking, are you okay, would have helped and it would have gone a long way. I'm, yeah. so, I'm so sorry you went through that because, I, like I said, I remember reading that in the book and you feel like your heart broke for what you were going through and you felt you didn't have that support. And Like I also wrote in the book about how I was um, racially abused on a flight and a passenger, you know, made a comment to me um, that was, you know, extremely racist um, and I was flying, you know, to an international competition. And I could have, you know, told the Federation and said, listen, this is what's happened. I just want to make you guys aware. I wasn't myself. I didn't even perform that well because of the, the comment that the, the passenger said on the plane. Um, but because there was no one who looked like you in power, if I went to a white head coach or a white performance director, what exactly could they have done? They would have just gone, OK, thank you for making us aware. I don't know what you expect us to do with that because racism occurs each and every day. And as a white person, I've also never experienced racism. I can show empathy, yes, but there's only so much I can do because that's not something that I've had to personally go through. Whereas if it was a black head coach, because, you know, I'd probably say the majority of people of color, all black people anyway, British black people have suffered from or encountered some form of racism, whether it's in your face or it's, um, it's you know, kind of covers up and just institutionalized. So you can see it automatically. I think it would have been completely different. And it just, it, again, it's, it just shows it's it's across the board, isn't it? Unless you have someone who's, you can't be what you can't see. And having those coaches there, those sports psychologists, that diversity across any, any sport and any behind the scenes team, it, it's in, invaluable for, for mental health and suicide prevention. Yeah. And, and can I, I just think the fact that you've had to sort of bury that and carry on, you know, I, I just, you know, think what impact has that had? What long term impact does having to constantly bury um, all the wounds, all the slurs and, and sort of come back up bouncing, you know, that that has that leaves wounds and scars, you know, that at some point and hurts that have to be processed, you know. So uh, I I'm just I haven't read your book, but I I'm also wondering whether the, the book and maybe this is a question to you, you know, to say, was that a way of um, processing um, all all the pain and the hurt and the abuse in in a sort of cathartic way, just to get it all out there, you know, as some kind of process and healing? And do you feel that it's done that? Yeah, um, I would definitely say it has. Ironically, the last chapter in the book is called Healing, <laughs> chapter twenty. Um, so. It's, it's ironic that, you know, I guess people can hear about my story or, you know, ask questions to, you know, very similar to one you've just asked and just ask generally, like, how do you feel now? Uh, do you feel like you're in a better place? Are you well supported? Do you feel like you've gone through, you know, the, the right steps in order to not get over it, but just process it in a way that you hadn't processed this before? And I would probably say yes, because... A lot of the things that I'd gone through and experienced, I just, you know, completely compartmentalized everything because I was always focused on the outcome, the goal, which was performing towards greatness, you know, getting a medal, success. And when you're at the top of your game, 
you know that anyone can try and knock you off it at any moment. You know, it was fighting for an individual spot and then on the team, and then you're fighting to be on the strike four relay relay team. So it was like, I would always focus on that. And even when I was dealing with those moments of doubt and, you know, reflection uh, or thinking back to, you know, suffering the abuse that I suffered, I would just always just block it out and just just focus on the goal at hand. But it was only towards the end of my career, so the last final year, that's when everything started to kind of, the cracks were appearing a lot, a lot more. And it was, there was no way I could escape it at all. So then when the opportunity came to me, once I'd retired to um, write the book, um, yeah, just over the last two, two and a half years, you know, since, since before lockdown and, and with the book being released last month, it's just been such an amazing experience because, you know, I, I feel like, you know, the, the shackles are completely off. I don't feel like I'm burdening anything or anyone. I'm, and I'm, I'm feeling, I feel a lot freeing and complete, completely unapologetic about the things that I've said, the things that I've, I've experienced. So even when my teammates or family and friends are shocked by a lot of the things that I've written, because they didn't, you know, they couldn't understand why, how and why I went through this, but also why I didn't speak up about these incidents. And, you know, I never felt safe for the majority of my career, which is why I was able to not tell anyone about them. But you know, writing this book has definitely gave me that opportunity um, to do so as well as heal. Yeah, that's so good to hear. And, you know, I, I'm i just sort of minded to hear about this in terms of the fact that even when we're very young and pre-verbal, if we've experienced any kind of abuse or trauma, you know, that our body remembers it. And, and it was it was just when you use those words crack, you know, you felt the cracks that I, I, I just kind of went back to our, our joint humanity in, in, in as much as whenever any of us are suffering trauma or, you know, whether it's in our childhood, in our verbal states, pre-verbal, that, you know, our body remembers and it has an impact. And one thing that I feel really optimistic about now is that there's a lot more people talking about it either through like yourself writing the book or people like Azim Rafiq talking about some of his experiences and I think it's through those kind of means I think it's given people of colour who have experienced racism you know whether it be on on a massive scale or a small scale the actual words and the vocabulary to talk about these feelings that you perhaps didn't you didn't know how to put into words or express and I I think that's that's a a really positive thing not that people have experienced it but that people are actually like yourself people you know who are people know people who are famous uh, are giving vent to their experiences and very different experiences but the underlying impact of it is just you hear the trauma in people's explaining or the words that they use when they write a book so so thank you for writing that you know and I'm keen to read it (laughs) (laughs) thanks (laughs) hope you enjoy it it's not all doom and gloom I promise that must have like when I'm listening to you speak there it it makes I'm putting myself in your position there like in a sense and thinking how what you know if I was to do that it would be like a 
a massive weight off my shoulders in a sense, but it's not off, but it's kind of easy in a way um, because it's like you're sharing your experience um, and because you're sharing it, something can be done about it. Um, right. Otherwise, and, and I think what you've done there is, is, is really amazing, to be honest. Um, it takes courage as well. I, I think it really does, like, you know, um, I'm that type of person now, I'm at that age now where I, I want to speak about what my experience is, but there are people out there that don't really want to speak about it and they do bottle it up and they are actually embarrassed by it as well um, because they feel that they can't cope with it. So mm. um, what you've done there with the book is amazing. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. No, it, it, I think it, you know, like I said, it, the experience of it has just been, you know, just unforgettable. Um, but off the back of that, so some of the stuff that I mentioned, because because the book was serialised in um, like a few days before the book was released in the national paper, the so they picked out some of the the rough stories basically, and and then it kind of went viral on social media, and then it was picked up by the federation. So then they actually contacted me within a couple of hours of it being presented to the media, and I think it's because you know a lot of journalists were contacting them saying. What did you do to help her? How did you allow this to happen? All of this stuff. So they they reached out and they have been able to offer guidance and help and support. And they apologized for not, you know, being there. Um, you know, given the fact that, I mean, maybe it's a poor excuse, but the culture was very different. So everything was driven towards medals and success and making sure that the medal targets were being hit because. You know, the sport relies on money from UK sport and lottery money. So if there's any cuts, it impacts the sport. Like it literally has a domino effect on everything. And because I was one of those athletes who was winning medals at a high level consistently, um, you know, to be told, you know, there's like 10 million on the line if you don't get this medal, which just, you know, heartbreaking to hear because, you, you know, they're basically telling you, you're disposable. We don't care about you. We don't care about your mental health. Um, there's, there's another 10, 20 anarchists who were coming through in the sport anyway so we actually don't care about everything that you're dealing with but at least now they're able to acknowledge acknowledge their past mistakes and offer support um, if and when I need it. It's fantastic because you think to yourself if you didn't write that book would that have been acknowledged and it's that right. relatability again like when you read the book it's not only for athletes country someone who's interested in in sport and athletics and hearing it but just someone who is an ethnic minority reading that thinking oh I've experienced that it's not acceptable and it's sometimes when you actually look at stuff like that and it's re recognizing oh I didn't even realize that's that's it's insulting and it's offending to me and it's from that and Annika going forward you're going to help so many young athletes coming through yeah 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 I hope so I hope so did you ever find do you know when you were when you were performing and stuff like did you ever find yourself now looking back that when you spoke to some people, there wasn't intentionally being racial and they didn't know they were doing it, but you found yourself actually educating them in a sense and saying and putting them right. Did you ever find that when you were playing? Yeah, yeah, there was there was definitely, definitely that. Um, so people would say, I think maybe I mentioned this in the book. So um, there's, there's always that question, for example, um, what does being British mean to you? So because I don't have a, a typical English or British name, when you're competing abroad or when you're getting stopped by passport control or when a fan who's watched you on TV 
will ask you questions like, where are you really from? And I'm just like, what do you mean? It's like, no, where are you really from? And I'm just like, Liverpool. Okay, where mm. were you born? Wavertree. Now, where were you mm. really born? Royal Hospital in Liverpool. Because they're basically trying to tell you, well, you're not British because you don't sound British, you don't look British, and your name alone is is really un-British. Um, so it's like you doing you're having all this level of success and you're still not deemed British enough. So imagine someone who who is British and part of British culture who doesn't have a British name, whether you're black, Asian, whatever you are. And people unless people hear you talk with a regional accent they you still won't be, be seen as like British or enough in this country and I think because I wasn't a public eye for such a long time and um, you begin to realize though those are just kind of the small thing like a few of the little microaggressions and you think oh it's um it's very it's very undercover especially in this country whereas when you go in the you you when we used to go warm weather training in the U.S. If they wanted to be racist, oh, it was just so blatant. You pull up next to a car and they just have, especially in Florida, for example, we used to go there a lot for training and a car would pull up and it would be a big truck and they'd have the Confederate flag. And I remember one time there was a driver who had it and he we, we would have a stop sign. And as soon as the lights turned red, green, he revved his car and he just shouted the N-word at me and then he just drove off. But to them, it's just normal behavior. It's to, it's literally just normal over there. Like they'll just say TV. It's not that not that you know people don't do it here, but um, I think it's a lot. It's very very much open in the US. So so yeah, I think there was there was a mixture of things that I experienced when it came to to racism and microaggressions going on. Yeah, so the reason the reason why I say it is because uh, when I was younger. And I was the only Asian to play in this team um, in Sunday League that was, when I was playing. I think I was the only Asian to play in the league itself. So, you know, I'd get don't I'd get racial abuse nearly every other game. It would be it would be it'd be how it was. So I kind of tried to deal with it. Um, I was young at times, so I used to retaliate at times. I had the backing up of teammates though, which was really good. That's but, excellent. It's, it's having that support there. I know Anna, yeah. you said like athletics can be quite a lonely sport, and I suppose that's that's the beauty of football and team sports. Yeah. You have that, you have that around you, Nilesh. But the, the the thing I had was, and uh, though I had the, the support, I felt to myself I had to educate them a little bit because, and I didn't. Now I look back, I was educating. I didn't know it was at the time, but they would say, um, you know, Nilesh, why why were you getting so angry when they were calling you a P? Um, because you are a P, right? And I'd be like. That, because that's where you're from, right? I'm not, no, that's not where I'm from. Um, you know, my parents are actually not from there either. Um, my parents are actually from Africa. Um, their, their grandparents are from India. Um, and this, so, 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 so India and Pakistan, they're not the same thing. And I'd be like, no, 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 they're not the same thing. And, you know, I was young at that time, so I used to doubt myself a little bit. I said, go back home and said, Mom, Dad, I said, Pakistan's there, India's there, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, why are you asking silly questions for? I said, no, just, just, just wondering, Mom, you know, fine. And then I used to go back into my room and that. Um, and then when I look back at stuff like that, I used to think to myself, you know, you know what? You know, if you think about it, you were actually educating them. They didn't know. That was my own team, which was, which was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Looking back at it now, which is quite sad to see that they didn't know at all. Um, 
and the, when I used to play at times and when I used to get called the P and I remember one game that was really bad, like really bad and it guts me really bad and at the end of the game I didn't shake anybody's hand um, but some of the supporters would say, Nilesh, just let that go over your head and I'm like, It's abuse, it shouldn't, it shouldn't let it go over your head, that, that's abuse. Yeah, and I was like, how? But they never got it, they never understood why he was so, why he used to get so angry. So as the older I got, I think I got more angry with it. Do you know what I mean? Because when you were younger, you, you're a bit more, I don't know, a bit more like, whatever, I'm just going to play football, whatever. As you get older, you kind of understand it's not right. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and I know, I, I go back to school days when people used to do at school to me and stuff like that. And um, But then you just used to shrug it off. Um, uh, and, and just, but as you get older, you kind of understand it. It's not right, and you want your younger generation not to experience that. And it's it's the way, like you say, it's 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 unaddressed trauma, isn't it? You know, the fact that's how you, as a young, as a young lad, that's how you were dealing with it. That that trauma of being racially abused on the pitch, and and Anita, we we talked beforehand. Do you think uh, how racism happens and the mental health impacts do you think that's changed as time's gone and like from what Nilesh has just said do you think that's how mental health that that's impacts people now because of racism yeah I mean I I think you know I feel really sad to say this but I don't think there's been much change in fact I feel there's been regression in racism in terms of where we currently are you know but I I do think in terms of its mental health impacts. I mean, going back to um, people like Annika and um, uh, people like people coming out and, and talking about their experiences. Um, people, I think I know that a lot of people that I work with, you know, have actually now got a vocabulary for certain things, you know, because Nilesh, it's really interesting that your response to it was anger. You know, and, and I know that that is a range, there's a range of impact because I work with um, people who in a different context have internalised racism, you know, so they say, so, so they believe that they're actually inferior, you know, because it's such a powerful machine, you know, in terms of that. And also, you know, having to function under the white gaze, you know, in terms of having to progress in your given field that you think, okay, so this is how, this is how it works. These are the rules. These, this is the rule of white privilege, if you like. And if I don't, if I don't be or act in this kind of way, then I'm not going to get on. And that has an impact on people. And I think that the, the change for me, I think, is that people are expressing it and there is a lot more, um, conversation around racial trauma, its existence in terms of stress, in terms of how, you know, our, our, our humanity is just attacked by microaggression upon microaggression, you know, to be asked that every single time, but where are you really from, you know, in all your different work contexts, you know, it, it, it kind of wears you down and has an impact but in terms of where we are now I'd say Lauren I think that you know for a lot of people who've bottled up their the traumas that they've um, had in the past um, there is there is there is a space to hear other people's and think I'm not alone in this and that also that it's wrong 
you know, and that it has a psychological and mental health impact on on people of colour, you know, um, in, in varying ways, but it does have an impact. And just by having those conversations and that saying, this is not okay, this is impacting me and that racial trauma, it can save someone's life, it can prevent suicides and having having yeah. those conversations. Yeah. Yeah, 100%, I, I agree. I think like, we've come into a world now where we can, we can have these conversations and today is brilliant to, to talk to you to, to, to you all about it you know um uh and to share similar experiences as well which is it's it's, it's good it's good to talk I think um you we talk about experiences and then you know it's hard enough at the moment for still South Asians to change their elder generation's mindset as well and you know and once they've changed their mindset and they haven't made it into the game that can mentally affect them because they're thinking I've let my parents down here. Yeah. I just took all that time to convince them that I could be a footballer, but I didn't get through. Okay, but then, you know, parents have got to understand that you don't have to be a footballer just to be in football, you know, and it's that representation, you know, you can be a scout, you can be a coach, you can be a physio, you can be in the the the, the, the background of the, of the actual um, admin staff of the foundation of clubs and all sorts, you know, it doesn't just just stop there, and it's that perception that we have to change as well in the older generation that we've got. And it's it, it's like you say, it's, it starts from there, doesn't it? It starts yeah. like from that generation. It can make a huge impact for say the younger generation when we're saying, yeah, yeah I'm included, go for this, and that's probably why you started Villains Together, wasn't it, Nilesh? Having that that diversity yeah. there and promoting that Aston Villa yeah it was it was there obviously I supported Aston Villa uh, and I, I still do obviously they're my club and everything else so um you know Anwar Udin from uh, Fans for Diversity approached me and said oh you know you, know, you go to the games every week you know why don't you start a fan group and encourage more people from all back backgrounds to attend games and I was like oh it's not a bad idea so you know came up with a name went to the club they were really, really supportive about the idea and everything else. And um, we started going around to local communities and taking uh, groups to games um, for to experience their first match day experience. Um, and it's been really good. You know, we don't just like you know go to a community and then take take a group over and then that's it. You know, we have to go there and before the game. We explain to them what's going to happen, uh, what to expect. Um, I get nervous because I'm, you know, taking a group down there and I don't want them to be put off by the game by any abuse as well. So it's a nerve wracking day for me at the same time. But I get excited because I'm like, you know, we can have some new Villa fans here and um, they can enjoy the game and everything else. So, um, so yeah, um, you know, it's been brilliant. And we, we, we took down, I think, one, one of our, my best days I had, I took down seven ladies, no, sorry, 17 ladies that wore, wore, wore claret hijabs that never been to a game before. They were a little community that were opposite Villa Park. Um, they went to the game. I was nervous. I was so nervous. And then um, the club were really good. Took them on pitch side. They, they were flag bearers. Our, our, um, our, our manager then was Dean Smith. He took pictures with them. They were so accepted and they felt so accepted. And there's there about four or five of the ladies there that, didn't understand English, but by the end of the game, they understood the game as well. So it was really good. Um, but before we went and took them, we, we explained to them, you know, this is what to ha- this is what's going to happen. 
um, this is what to expect. You know, you'll see stewards here and everything else and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Villas Together thing, it, it's all down to my personal experiences and, and I don't want anybody else to go through that. So I won't stop. Uh, I want to keep going with it as, as much as I can. Yeah. It, it's just like you say, like Annika with your book and your letter with that, it just shows, unfortunately, it takes a lot to go through for coming forward what it does to help people and showing that diversity and that you are included. Yeah, I think it does. I think, um, unfortunately, we've got to be the generation to change it and speak up and be free to talk about our experiences in order to create the change, the changes that need to happen. Because, um, like I was saying, uh, the Federation may not know any difference in regards to the personal stuff that I've gone through. But can you imagine if, you know, half the team had gone through similar incidences but I've been the one who's been courageous enough to speak up about it. Like, hopefully it has, you'd like to think, no matter what the situation is, it would have a dom- domino effect where other people, whether in my sport or other sports, young athletes um, are just able to speak up and, um, yeah, just help each other as they progress through the various sports. Yeah, and I think following on from both of you just just to say that with the pupils the children that I currently work with I you know I always you have to give people a sense of their own agency that the fact that one person can make a difference and once once you ignite that sense of personal agency which which I hear from Nilesh and Annika and, and it's great because then then you you start to do that for other people and and that's where I think is really you know it's to understand the power of one person and, and to kind of say your voice find your voice and say your truth is so important in terms of feeling oh I can't make a difference and I think that's why I'm very hopeful um that the younger generation they are learning about different histories they're they're learning a, a decon colonized curriculum now schools are doing that a lot more than when I came to this country you know the history that I learned was just um people wouldn't think to teach history like that now for want of a better way of explaining it and I think that giving people the education and also the context to speak freely um, and and also the understanding of their own power that power that one person has to make a difference is is quite um yeah it yeah one person can change the world <laughs> that's what I always say and a group of like-minded people can can do wonders so it's just lovely to hear Nilesh and Annika just talking about that because I feel that as an educator for show racism that you know I'd love for you to come and be part of some of our group just to say actually you're doing something you've done that you've been through all this but you're 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 making a difference for the better and you can and no one's going to stop you yeah that'd be my pleasure definitely (laughs) and you are that one person as well I need to say with the work that you do at show racing card is is invaluable and you make that difference to hundreds of probably thousands of of kids and organizations every year the work that you do you know it's it's you know you take great pride in that thank you and yeah, I could I could talk to you all, all day about it. I just think it's absolutely fascinating hearing your stories and you know what it's just a fascinating conversation to have. But 
collectively, finally, what are the, some of the ways? You, so represent, representation with athletes and sports people, what can we do going forward to promote this more? I mean, can I just jump in on this? Because I've just been so taken up by the ACE programme um, that Ebony Rainsford Brent has, has championed with Surrey Cricket Club. And I've been looking at the hallmarks of the charity, you know, and I think that's a really wonderful model whereby she's had a real passion with, um, you know, that very a seminal sky moment where her and Michael Holding, I don't know if you've watched that, but if you haven't watched it, it's fantastic. Really just, it was natural spillover into their experiences of racism. Um, but then Ebony with Surrey Cricket Club have, have formed this charity, which are schools based, go into schools to educate, to scout, uh, started up this cricket academy and they're I think they're in three places now in in the UK so I think in some ways to have these kind of charities stroke organizations with a very specific and focused goal and intention intentionality of um, increasing representation um, like, like ACE do um, I, I just think that that's the way forward in terms of grassroots stuff, certainly. I agree. That's good. Yeah, and I said that. <laughs> it always starts from from just, yeah, young grassroots, educating them from a young age. So then you don't have incidents where there are unfortunately people who carry these racist connotations through older life, older generations, because people are like, oh, well, it's, it's the older generations who are making the comments, but, you know, what were they taught? I'm sure they were taught very little about racism and diversity and, you know, other ethnic minorities. So you've got you to gotta catch these kids while they're young and hopefully, you know, they'll be able to share, you know, and just be honest and transparent with them yeah. and, and other people around them as well, so they can educate each other. Yeah, I, I, just to add to all that, I think all the campaigns and everything else, they all need to be enhanced and consistent as well you know we, we can't just do these things as one-off things and, and, and stuff like that it's got to go through it's got to be consistent constantly uh, and for me it has to be routine based as well you know it really does um, and I think that way we'll see some real progression fingers crossed <laughs> well this is hope cast we've got to be hopeful haven't we yeah, <laughs> yeah we got to <laughs> a pleasure well, though it really has. So Nilish, Anika and Anita, thank you so much for being a part of this very special episode. And I've got no doubt this is going to make a difference going forward. Thank you so much for listening to Papyrus Hopecast and for your part in making suicide part of the conversation. Sometimes listening to these stories can be difficult. If you're a young person struggling with thoughts of suicide or if you're worried about a young person, you can contact Hopeline UK on 0800 068 4141 via text on 078600 or via email on pat at papyrus-uk.org.